Isn't it great that we can have a relationship with God? That we can, we can hear his voice, that he will and wants to uh, speak to us, that we can hear him and, and receive his direction. Uh, I, I pray that as we've been going through this series, that's exactly what's been happening, that God has been speaking to you, that he's been leading you. And, and I pray that you've been listening, that you will follow along um, in the direction that, that he provides. Um, you know, just because I think that God, there's so many ways that God wants to speak to us, not just on a Sunday morning. So I just think it's awesome. I was just thinking about this week that we get to have a relationship, that we, want, we have interaction with the Lord. Uh, it, Steve already talked about the uh, Thanksgiving banquet, so please you know, make plans to come and attend that. Uh, you know, uh, it's free. It's open to our uh, community as well. So just bring some friends and just come and celebrate Thanksgiving with your church family. It's a great time. It's this Friday at 6.30 in this room. So please uh, come prepared to eat and have a good time. Uh, also, next Sunday, uh, we're going to be having a baptismal service at 6 o'clock. So anyone that wants to, you know, follow God uh, in, you know, just in obedience and baptism, please let us know. You can call the church office. You can let me know. I will make sure that we, uh, we get you set up for that. Uh, but let's go ahead and just open our service in prayer uh, before we dive in. Father, we come to you and we give this time to you. We do thank you, Lord, that you speak to us, that you uh, use your Holy Spirit, God, to just lead us and direct us. Father, I would pray that you would make us sensitive to that direction. Help us to hear you so clearly today that we know what you want us to do. We know the change and transformation that you want to make in our lives. God, just remove all of our distraction, our burdens, our thoughts, anything that would keep our focus off of you today. God, help us to just be so attuned with you. Where Your word says, he who has ears, let him hear. Lord, let us have ears to hear this morning, God. And let us just be in, in the undeniable presence of your spirit. Let it be so thick in this place that we walk out of here changed and transformed. Father, help us to surrender in this moment to you and the work that you want to do in our lives so that you can use us to make a difference in our community, Lord. We thank you and we praise you for all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. So just recapping a couple things uh, from last week as we talked about the shoes of preparedness. We talked about the fact that our ability to stand firm is founded in the gospel of peace. In that, in that passage in Ephesians 6 where Paul talks about the armor of God, he says that we must stand firm four times. And that tells us that God is the one that is, does the fighting. We're the ones that do the standing in him. And we need to let him fight for us, but that can only happen when we are uh, prepared by the gospel of peace. We talked about the fact that God is our rock. He is our firm foundation. We stood and we praised aloud in Psalm 46, just making that our own, and it was a wonderful time to remember that God is the one that our foundation is set upon, and that no matter what the enemy would throw against us, it doesn't compare. It's, it's, it's just a poor comparison. It will never amount to the power that God has and that he provides. We know that God is not going to listen. He's not going to come to us and help us if we are holding on to our position of rebellion. Remember, we talked about the prodigal son, that the father, he didn't go to the prodigal son when the, fa- when the son was still holding on to his Rebellion. He didn't go find him when he was feeding the pigs. He didn't go find him when he had run out of money. But when he saw his son coming to him, when he saw that his son had abandoned his rebellion, what did the father do? He ran to his son, and that's what God will do to us. And we know that God's peace prepares us to be his witnesses. So we get to we walk in the gospel of peace, which prepares us for, for the battle, for victory. But also we know that we share in the calling, that we must go out and share the truth of who God is so that other people can have their lives changed by the gospel. And in that, it's kind of a great segue into the helmet of salvation. 
And today we're going to be talking about, you know, similar uh, approach. We're going to talk about what is salvation. We're going to talk about why salvation is important and then why it's a helmet. Now, I was curious. I mean, I know what salvation is, but I wanted to know what Webster, I want to know what the dictionary said salvation is. And it basically just says that it's deliverance or, you know, preservation from harm, ruin, and loss. What an inadequate definition of salvation. I think we all know that when we look at scripture, it's more than just deliverance and preservation, right? It is literally the exchange of my sin and the exchange of the punishment for my sin for God's righteousness. When Jesus was on the cross, what happened? The Bible tells me that my sin was put on Christ. It was imputed to him that so that when God looked at his own son, he looked at Jesus as if he had committed every single sin that I had committed. It was him that did them not me. In exchange for my sin and the punishment for my sin, God gives me and gives you righteousness. He gives us love, grace, and mercy. That is what salvation is. It can only be found in the perfect life, the sacrificial death, the supernatural resurrection of our Lord and Savior. It brings hope where there is no hope. It brings peace where there is no peace. It brings life where there is only death. It brings forgiveness where there was punishment. It brings, it brings me into his presence and makes me one of his children when my sin had me on a path destined to be separate from God forever and ever. Without salvation, we are all destined to hell. That place where the Bible says is, is weeping and mourning and, and gnashing of teeth, but a place of eternal destruction and separation from the Lord. Listen to what, these, I just went through some scriptures and we have so many things that the Bible teaches us about salvation. We know that it can only be found in Christ, John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, ours, ours, uh, salvation is ours with uh, our belief and confession of Christ. It is a demonstration of God's grace. We see that in 2 Timothy, Titus, and Ephesians. We know that everyone needs it. If you are in here and you are not saved, listen, you need to be saved. Every single person that has ever lived on the earth, every single person that will live on the, on the earth needs salvation. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Our works cannot save us. Isaiah 64 says that our righteousness is like filthy rags. We cannot do it. We cannot amount to anything that would earn salvation in ourselves. The wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. It is Christ that brings salvation. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if everyone needs to be saved, and then everyone needs Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see how God, he, he balanced that equation. He makes sure that there is a way for all of us. Christ's purpose on earth was to bring salvation. We see that in Luke and John. God desires for everyone to be saved. Every single one. There are a few times in, in Paul's writings where he says, I know that it is God's will for everyone to be saved. The unfortunate thing is not everyone will be. Because not everyone calls. And so that is why God had to send his son so that we all had the opportunity. We know that salvation brings eternal life in heaven and an empowered life on earth. We talked about last week in Romans 5. Salvation brings transformation in 2 Corinthians and it also is God reconciling man to himself. What a beautiful picture. All of this provides that, God's, that salvation is God's gift to his people. And all that gift is from a position of love. John three sixteen, that very familiar passage. For God so what? loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And John wrote in 1 John in that letter there, he says that what love, see what love the father has lavished 
on us. You know what lavish means? Like overpour, to pour out just extravagantly. And God loved us that much that we, as lowly as we are, would be called his children. His children. That is how much God loved us. We know that salvation is so important because without it, we would not be with the Lord. We wouldn't have the opportunity to be with him forever and ever. And we know that salvation can only come through Christ. One thing for me in the context of the armor of God, what salvation does, is it reminds me that I can't fight the battle. Because I can't work for my own salvation. There's nothing that I could do to earn, you know, being called worthy of Christ's sacrifice. So with the fact that salvation is included in the armor of God lets me know that God is the one that's actually fighting my battle. He is the one that is going out. I'm called to stand firm. So the question that we have to ask then is, why is it a helmet? Why is it a helmet of salvation? Especially with our children, you know, when we talk to them about salvation, what do we say? That Jesus is in your what? Heart, right? That's what we say. So why wouldn't it be a breastplate of salvation instead of a helmet of salvation, right? Well, I think what we need to realize is it's, it's about what needs to be protected and by what. Not about the imagery that we use in our theology. Let me put it this way. My salvation is not in my heart. My salvation is not in my head. My salvation is part of me. It's part of my spirit. When, when I received that gift, when I acknowledged that Christ lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross, he rose again, and I said, God, come into my life and change me, it became a part of who I am. And I became a part of his family. The other thing that we need to realize is salvation is not what is in need of protection. Salvation is what is doing the protecting in this situation. So when we think about it, the helmet of salvation, what it is, is the salvation is protecting the battlefield of our mind. But again, why is that battlefield in our mind instead of our heart? You see, the devil, he is evil. In John 10, Jesus says that he is the thief that comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. And he has been watching mankind for thousands of years. The very first two people that God created, what did the devil do? He, he tricked them. He, he, he was able to get them to turn their life into sin. And he has been doing it ever since. And he knows our weaknesses. There's this book by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters. And if you've never read it, highly recommend it. But what it is in the book, C.S. Lewis writes from the perspective of a demon writing to his nephew. And this nephew has been assigned a new Christian. And and the the whole point is for us to, as you read it, you realize that the devil knows our weaknesses. That he is out to trip us up. That he is out to, to, to really undermine our walk with the Lord. So you better know that the devil knows what it's going to take to attack you. And when you think about this, the the one on the left, it's hard to see because of the lights, but it's a heart or the brain. So the devil has a choice. Where is he going to wage war? He knows that our heart is our seat of emotions. And our head is our seat of, you know, knowledge, intelligence, rational thought. And if we have a conviction that's in our heart and is attached to an emotion, we hold on to it much more securely. And then if it's just in our head, not attached to an emotion. Let me put it this way. My wife, Melanie, I would describe her as beautiful on the inside and the out. And she's watching probably right now live on Facebook. So I'm going to be nice to her the whole time. Also, it was her birthday this past week. So, um, but 
The thing is, right, so I believe that, and I think that you would probably believe that as well, because you're basing that off of your interaction with her, your knowledge of her, your experience with her. But when I say it, man, that's the same conviction, but it's with a lot more authority and a lot more security. Why? Because she and I have an intimate, personal relationship that's founded on an emotion, on, 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 something, on a gift that God has given us called love, right? And so it would be impossible for anyone to convince me that my wife is not beautiful on the inside, and the out. And the same, if we apply that concept to our faith, the devil knows that if he attacks us in our heart, yes, emotions are fickle, but what happens when our convictions are attacked? Those that have emotions, we hold on to them more tightly. The devil says, I'm not going to go to a place where a battle is going to be harder. I'm going to pick the easier battle. And so what he does is he attacks us in the battlefield of our mind, Because he knows that if he can sow questions, if he can sow doubt, if he can attack us in that place, what he begins to do is he separates our conviction from our emotion. And ultimately, we get us in a place where we would be separate in our walk from God. And that is why the devil attacks us, and that's why we have to have our helmet on. But I want you to understand that when we think about this, we can't have just a cerebral or intellectual or, you know, um, a head knowledge relationship with God only. You see, Paul, he's using a metaphor, and what we need to realize, though, is the marriage symbolism is appropriate. Because Jesus calls us his bride, that we are his bride, and as our groom, he loved us so much that he came down to this earth and he gave himself on the cross. He died for us. We must reciprocate that same kind of love to him. He demonstrated his love on the cross. I demonstrate my love for him by carrying my cross by dying to myself and living for him every day. But I know that this is not an easy thing. So how do we put our helmet on? How can we walk with our helmet of salvation? So we're going to go over a couple steps today on how we can put the helmet of salvation on. The first is we put our helmet on uh, when we operate with an eternal perspective and a godly focus. I think if you were to, you know, watch TV, watch the news, look on social media, listen to music, you would agree with me that our culture, especially here in America, is out to shorten and narrow our focus. Like not only, they're not looking for us to think about our life, they're not even looking for us to think about the next moment. Our culture is all about what feels good in this moment. God is saying, don't think about this moment, don't think about the next moment, don't think about your, think eternally. Operate with an eternal mindset, a godly focus that is focused on forever, not just momentary or temporal gratification. So look at what it says in Colossians. It says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God, who is your life, or hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And we begin to get an understanding of what it means to guard our minds by focusing on the right things, by thinking about an eternal focus and the direction that God would give us, not just about our own momentary or temporal satisfaction. See, when our hearts and our minds are focused on the things above, we're able to walk with our helmet on. We're able to be protected. That battlefield is under control and and under protection by the Lord. And Paul helps us understand. He says that you have died. He lets us know that we have been crucified with Christ. Our old self died on the cross and only Christ resurrected. 
And he says that if life is found in Christ, which it is, then why would we ever look outside of Christ for it? The consequence would be clear if that is the approach that we took. If I look for gratification, fulfillment, satisfaction, life outside of Christ, you know what I'm going to find? Death. Because what did Jesus say in John 14? He says, I am the way, the truth, and what? The life. He is the life. There is no other way to life except through Christ. And so what I need to realize is that my eternal focus helps me to remember, helps me not to have my mind on things below, but on things above, on the things of the Lord. This is the way that we need to have. If I'm not focused on him, I will lose. Now, the thing is, the devil will try to tell you. He will try to say, well, you know, you you deserve it. You're tired. Or, you know, he's going to try to get your focus off of what's going on. He's going to get you focused on the circumstance, the difficulty that you're going through. But listen, Paul would say, and the Bible would tell us in Scripture, that no matter what you're going through, it is worth it. In 2 Corinthians 4, it says, Therefore, we do, do, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. If anyone knew what it meant to be wasting away on the outside, it was Paul. He had been flogged numerous times. He had been beaten. He had been put in jail. He had been shipwrecked. He spent a day and a half at sea. He had been bitten by a poisonous snake. If there was anyone that understood persecution, if there was anyone in the New Testament outside of Christ that understood suffering, it was Paul. But what did Paul say? He says, outwardly, I'm wasting away. But inwardly, what is he experiencing? Renewal. And how often? Day by day. You see, Paul said right, after, uh, right before this section of Scripture, he goes through and he says that he was hard-pressed on every side, but he was not crushed. He was perplexed, but not in despair. He was persecuted, but he wasn't abandoned. He was struck down, but he wasn't destroyed. Why was he able to do that? He says that he was able to do that because he carried in himself the death of Jesus. That he carried along with him the death of his Savior. So that as Paul lived, what people would see is Christ's resurrection. You see, as he lived his life and he went out and did the ministry that God called him to do, he experienced suffering. But in that suffering, he thought about Christ's suffering. He thought about what Jesus did for every single person that he was ministering to. And he said, you know what? Jesus is suffering, but my salvation, but their salvation. And he rose again so that we can all be together forever in heaven. So what he says, the lesson for us is let us carry around the sacrifice that Christ had. Let us carry around his death so that in our life, his resurrection could be manifested. So that we won't have our minds set on things below, but on things above. So that we won't have our minds set on things that are temporary or seen, but we will focus on what is unseen. Why? Because that is eternal. That when, when, when I look at my light and momentary suffering. Now, I've never been flogged. I've never been shipwrecked. I've never been beaten. I've never been put in prison. I've, I've never been uh, bitten by a, a poisonous snake. I've never uh, been, you know, at sea for a day and a half. All of these things happened to Paul, and he described them as light. As light. Why? Because he had an eternal focus. 
because he looked ahead. He knew that there was going to be a day when he was going to be in heaven and he was going to be face to face with Christ again. And he said that the weight of that glory, of that eternal glory, it far outweighs anything that he would experience in this earth. When we have an eternal focus, we will be prepared to face whatever we have to, ha- whatever we have to face in Jesus' name. Now the thing is, the devil, even as we try to maintain an, an eternal focus, the devil will begin to sow seeds of doubt and question. And the way, the, another way that we can put our helmet on is by rejecting doubt and overcoming it with truth, confronting it with truth. Now, before we go any further, I want, I want to just say something to you. Because a lot of people will look and you know, begin to think that, that doubt or questions are negative. Listen, doubt that you don't give to God, questions that you don't seek God's face on, that's a risk. But where you have doubt, where you have questions, take them to the Lord. We're going to talk about that. But I, just, I want to be so explicit that no one walks out of here confused. I want to be sharing a video. We, um, we would have watched it today. It's almost 10 minutes, though. Um, I want to share it on uh, Facebook today. We'll post it to the church's website as well, or the church's uh, Facebook as well. But if you don't have social media, I want you to write this down. The video is called Doubt Your Doubts. Okay, it's Doubt Your Doubts. It's a 10-minute like, spoken word, and in it, the guy acknowledges it's like a prayer that he is praying to God and the God's response. And he says, God, I'm not questioning you, but I just have questions. And the thing is that I, that I want all of us to recognize is that when the devil confronts us with doubt, we confront him with truth. In First Peter, it says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by the fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You know, sometimes you find just a gem in Scripture. Like in my notes, I said, this is a truth bomb that you can drop on the devil. Like when he is hitting you with doubt, like you just need to go to 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9, and you just read this to him. You read him and say, no, no, no. What you need to understand is I have been given birth into a living hope. And my hope is not irrelevant. My hope is not dead. My hope is not outdated. My hope is alive. It is relevant. It is mine in Jesus Christ. And that the, the inheritance that God has given me through his son will never perish. It will never spoil and it will never fade that I can walk empowered by the Holy Spirit, that I know that no matter what even questions I might have, that God is with me. That even though I suffer, my suffering proves the genuineness of my faith and makes it more precious than gold. And I will receive a reward, the eternal salvation of my soul. Like this this is absolutely truth that we can hold on to. But I want us to be encouraged because, again, doubt 
is one of the most insidious tools that the devil will use to sow against us. So we must be prepared. See, I want you to be encouraged because I used to think that I had to have perfect faith. I used to think that my faith had to be perfect. You know that that scripture where Jesus tells his disciples that, you know, if you see this mountain and you say, "In, in, in my name, cast that mountain into the sea, it will move. It will be done. Well, as a child... I was blessed to be able to go on a few ski trips. And on the way from the airport to the ski resort, I would like look at a mountain and like go into the sea. And never happened, right? But that's just a literal like childish thing. But for me as an adult, there are times when I have been face to face with a mountain that wouldn't move. That I cried out to God. And I said, in Jesus' name, I would cast that mountain into the sea. But that mountain didn't move. And the devil would come to me and he would say, John, if God loved you, that mountain would already be gone. If your faith was real, that mountain would be in the sea. God doesn't hear you. God doesn't love you. You see, what I had to do is I had to check my motives against God's will. I had to check my timing against God's timing. I had to check myself against my Savior. Because when Jesus said that, you know, to his disciples that you could cast that mountain into the sea, implicit in that argument was that it was God's will for that mountain to be in the sea. And so when the devil is saying to you, you're facing a mountain and, and and you're calling it to move, And God's not moving it. When he is trying to sow doubt in your mind that God doesn't hear you, God doesn't care, he's ignoring you, he doesn't love you. Listen, God's at the top of the mountain saying, climb this mountain. He is calling you over it. We must understand what his will is. We must pursue him so that when we have doubt, just say, God, help me. Help me. I have questions. Help me. We go to him. I used to think that I had to have perfect doubt. What God showed me is, no, I just have to be perfectly honest. I had to have perfect faith. What God told me was that, no, you just have to be perfectly honest with the doubt that you have. There's this beautiful picture in Mark chapter 9 where this father, he brings his son to Jesus. Now, he had already taken his son to the disciples, because, and, and they were unable to cast the demon out. This young man had a demon that would cast him into the fire, that would cast him into the water, and, and, you know, nearly take his life. And this father, as any father would, brings him to Christ because he is desperate for his son. And he says to Jesus in Mark chapter 9, he says, Jesus, if you can, heal my son. And Jesus, he, he looks at the father and he says, if I can, anything is possible for the one who believes. And the father gives one of the most honest responses in all of scripture. He says, I believe, but you need to help my unbelief. What I love is that Jesus, what we don't see Jesus doing, Jesus did not chastise the man. He didn't correct him. He didn't say, well, if you believed, I'm not going to do this because you have doubt. You know what he did? He healed the boy. He cast the demon out. Because this man was perfectly honest with the doubt, with the unbelief, with the concern and question that he had. If you find yourself with questions, listen, don't think 
that God is upset at you. Take those questions to the Lord. Let him be the one to answer them for you. Take them to him. Be perfectly honest with where you are. He absolutely loves you. He absolutely hears you. He wants you to come to him. The next way that we put our helmet on is we take every thought captive. Every thought. Now, this is a full-time, lifetime responsibility. Because it's not like, all right, well, you know, I'm, I, I, I go to work from 8 to 5, 8 to 6 or whatever, and, you know, I'm on during those hours, but in the evening I can just let the, the thoughts fly through. No, every thought must be taken captive. Because the devil will try and just hit you with arrows all the time. We must take every thought captive. Listen to what it says. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Did you know that this morning? That the weapons that God has given you have divine power to demolish the strongholds of the enemy? We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought. Every single thought is taken captive and made, it, made obedient to Christ. You see, we have to realize, one, that I, Paul is encouraging us. He says that we don't wage war as the world does. That the weapons that we have are divine and they have the ability to demolish the strongholds of the enemy. Where are those strongholds established? They are established in our mind. And that's why Paul says that we must take every thought captive and we make it obedient to Christ. We bring it into submission, into, like, and sometimes we might have to make it into subjection because our own will would be pushing hard against us. This is what Jesus had to do. Remember in the garden, what did he pray? He said, Father, if it is your will, let this cup pass from me, but if not, your will be done, not mine. Jesus was taking every single thought captive. And he calls us to do the same. How different would your life be? How different would, or how much more would you be able to stand firm in Christ if you took every thought that you have captive? If every one of your thoughts that were not aligned with Christ, with his word, with his will, if you took every single one of those and you rejected it, you made it, and you brought it into submission to God, how different would your life be? How much more empowered, how much more would you be walking in the spirit and walking in life? Now, I know we've been talking about some very high standards today. Having an eternal focus, rejecting doubt, taking every thought, every thought captive. The devil, he will use the times when we fall short to attack us. He will come in and say, well, if you were a Christian, if you really believed, if you had faith, if this, if that, if this, if that. Another way that we put our helmet on is we renew our mind in Christ. That when we fail... Instead of running to hide in the bushes like Adam and Eve did, we would go to God and acknowledge our sin. We acknowledge our doubt. We acknowledge all of those things that the devil is trying to remind us of. When he reminds you of your past, how many of you have heard know the next part of this sentence? You remind him of his future. Come on. You know, there's, there's scripture that tells us that there will be a day when Jesus takes Satan and throws him into the fire, throws him into hell, forever and ever and ever. So when the devil comes to you and says, well, remember when you did that? 
Remember when you did this? Remember what it looked like in your past? You just say, hey, devil, guess what? There's going to be a day when my Savior, the one who died on the cross for my sins, the one who washed all of that away, guess what? He's going to lock you up. He's going to throw you into the same fire that you're trying to convince me that I'm going to end up in. Listen, we renew our minds in Christ. In Romans, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, We are called to be a living sacrifice. And the devil will try to remind us of those times when we've fallen short. And the problem with a living sacrifice, it gets down off of the altar. What God says is, just get back on the altar and begin worshiping me with your life again. Make your life a living sacrifice of worship to me with everything that you do. Everything. In the message translation, this, this is one of my favorite kind of other translation passages to use. It says that take your eating, sleeping, and like your everyday kind of life and give it to God as an offering. That's what pleases him. So how do we renew our mind? We renew our mind by repeating what made it new in the first place. By praying. By studying the Bible, by studying God's word, by engaging in a relationship with the Lord, by worshiping him in spirit and in truth, by praying in the spirit, by doing everything that God has called us to do. You know how many times God said to Israel, you have forgotten your first love. You know how many times God said, we we talked about it at the beginning of this series in the letter that God wrote or Christ wrote to the church in Ephesians. He says, you have abandoned what you have done at the beginning. You want to make your mind new? Pursue God like you did in the beginning. Pursue him. God wants to transform us by the renewing of our mind. But we continue to be conformed to the pattern of this world. And the message again in this passage, it says, do not fit, so, fit in with the world so easily that you don't even realize it. Do you know how to boil a frog? Anybody know how to boil a frog? You put it in cold water and you turn the temperature up. Because the water, as the water begins to rise, the frog, his, his body acclimates to the temperature and he won't even realize that he's being boiled to death. And this is the problem that I think that Christians especially are facing in the world. We have fallen so far from what godliness is that we look at our worldliness and think that, think that it pleases the Lord. God says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is why the helmet is so important. This is why it must be a helmet of salvation, because listen, helmets, not only were they used for protection, they were used to identify which side you were on. I mean, think about it, right? Some of you are going to watch football this afternoon. When the guys are on the field, They have a uniform that helps them know which team is there. The challenge that's happening is when the world looks at us, it's not seeing a helmet of salvation, it's seeing a helmet of worldliness. And it's confused. Because we say one thing and then we live another way 
And the world says, well, fine, I don't want anything to do with that. And it walks away. That's why Christianity is on its steepest decline. Less than 50% of the youngest generation identify themselves as Christian. Less than 50%. 50 years ago, that number was 90%. And it's because, I had this discussion this week, it's because we don't live according to our convictions. We live for the moment. We don't live with an eternal focus. We don't take every thought captive. We don't reject doubt. We don't take it to God. We live for ourselves. In 2 Corinthians, it says that one died for all. He says, I'm convinced that one died for all so that all who live may live for the one who died for them. Are you living for the one that died for you? Are you wearing a helmet of salvation or are you wearing a helmet of worldliness? Listen, this is what it says in Colossians. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and he is in all. When you look at your life, Is there impurity? Is there immorality? Is there sexual morality? Is there um, rage? Is there anger? Is there bitterness? Is there filthy language? Is there uh, a desire to undermine others? Is there a desire to be number one in every situation? Is there a desire to put down, to, to put yourself above everything else? Is there selfishness? God says get rid of those things. Put them to what? Death. Put them to death. Doesn't mean set them aside. Put them to death that you can walk in the life that God has for you. We must make sure that we are wearing the right helmet. So the question that we have to, 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 to think about today as we begin to say, well, I need to take my stand against the enemy. These are questions that I, as we get ready to pray, I want you to pray these questions. Do you have an eternal perspective? Is your mind set on things above or on things below? Are you focused on the things of this world or on the things of God? On the things that are temporary or the things that are eternal? Have you rejected or have you accepted doubt? Are you confronting that doubt with truth? Are you taking that doubt to God? Have you taken every thought captive? Or do you just let the little ones through? I used to listen to a Christian comedian years ago. His name was uh, Mike Warnke, if anybody knows who that is. He talked about, at least I think that's who it was. But anyways, he talked about how he would play with his daughter. And they would play tag in their house. And like he would chase his daughter to try and get her. And he said, if she made it to the bathroom, she was safe. Because she'd close the door and I couldn't get in. He said, it was always my goal to get there before the door closed. Because even if I could get in just a little bit, 
I knew. And that was just a game. But listen, when we give the devil just a little bit, one little thought, he's got us. That's why it says take every thought captive. And which helmet are you wearing? And when the world looks at you, do they, do they see the helmet of salvation? Or do they think that you're on their team? Only you know the answers to these questions. God is dealing, I believe that he is dealing with hearts this morning. And as we pray, I want you just to surrender to the Lord. And these altars are open. Don't come up here just to make me feel good about myself. But the altar is a place where you can surrender to the Lord. You say, well, I can surrender in my seat. Yes, you can. Absolutely, you can. But if you feel God calling you up here, like if you feel God saying, you better take a big step. You need, to, you need to step out. You need to just get rid of all of this. Listen, you come forward. It is an acknowledgement of your surrender to him. That is what it looks like to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. So I would challenge you that as we pray, don't just walk out of here and think, well, that was a, that was a rough sermon. Why don't you walk out of here like, man, I'm so glad that God confronted me today. I'm so glad that he changed me today. Walk in the transformation that he is calling you to. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you for your son. I thank you for Jesus. God, because without him, I can't be saved. I can't, I can't work to earn it. I, there's nothing that I can do. I had to be saved on my own. God, I believe that you are confronting us this morning. You are wanting to do a work in our lives. Father, if there's anyone here that has been operating with a worldly focus and a temporal or, or, or momentary perspective, God, show them how you want to bring their perspective onto an eternal plane. God, for those that are, that are giving in to doubt, not taking it to you, being even ashamed of it, Lord, Help us to know that there is no shame in bringing those questions. There's no shame in bringing doubt to you, Lord. God, be the truth. Speak the truth in our lives so that we can overcome the doubt that the devil will try and sow in us. God, help us to overcome and take every thought captive. Help us to identify those thoughts and those things that don't align with your word, with your will. God, with your spirit, help us to see them quickly so that we can capture them and make them obedient and submission to you. Help us to renew our mind, Lord, to be transformed by pursuing you in relationship, by engaging with you, God, connecting with you in worship and prayer and studying your word, God, hearing your voice, spending time in your presence. God, as we inspect ourselves this morning and we look at our armor, help us to identify if that, if that helmet that we're wearing is a helmet of salvation or a helmet of worldliness, Forgive us, God, for, conf for conforming to the pattern of this world without even knowing it. Forgive us for falling into that pattern, Lord. We surrender to you, God. We, we ask for your forgiveness. We repent. We choose, Lord, to follow after you, to go a different way. God, to, to just go in the direction that you would lead us. Make us whole, God. Renew us this morning. We thank you for that, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen.